Hello, and welcome to the Keepers of the Flame podcast. This is a show to shine a light into the darkness, to empower women, their support networks, and our communities to weather breast cancer, because together we weather the storm. But on this ocean, every wave brings you closer to home. Hello and welcome back to Keepers of the Flame podcast. I'm Joyce Williams, your host, and this is episode number 36, Reconnecting and Reclaiming Your Authenticity After Breast Cancer with our special guest, Mackenzie Alexander. Learning to own and accept your body, to connect with it, to love it, to appreciate, value, and reclaim your authenticity with who you really are, y'all, that can be hard any day of the week. But after speaking with numerous women who've battled breast cancer, I've heard time and again, and I've experienced this myself, that there is this life-altering shake. It's somehow different. There's this disdain. There's fear. There's denial. There's this true difficulty learning to accept this new physical and emotional selves that we are just forced to embody. It is hard. It's more than just surviving the cancer itself. It's learning to love and embrace an entire new you. And that can be challenging, but it can still be done. Now, how this manifests with individual women can be different from one person to the next. Some have trouble with their physical scars and body image or self-love. Others battle it on a microscopic level, feeling like their body failed them or maybe that somehow they failed their body. And still others struggle immensely with that mental and emotional peace, those emotional scars. I know I sure did. Perhaps feeling like the world is no longer safe becomes a real issue, even if it hadn't been in the past. To find yourself in this new view of the world, learning to embrace and accept who you really are, despite that floor having been ripped out from underneath you, despite this new tenting of the world, If any of this resonates with you, then this is an episode for you. Today, I'm super excited to have with us a special guest, Mackenzie Alexander. I first met Mackenzie. She is a professional photographer, and I met her right before my bilateral mastectomy. My husband, he wanted me to know and to truly feel that I was beautiful, and he wanted me to know that throughout my entire journey, to know and to own the fact that my beauty, that it radiated from within. He knew it and he loved me, but he wanted he wanted me to know it and accept it. I was just hit by this Mack truck of those dreaded words, you have cancer. It didn't sit well with me. I don't think it sits well with any of us. And I had a hard time accepting that my life my view of the world, my body inside and out was just going to be different. My husband recognizing this found McKinsey for me. And at the time she was doing things called goddess sessions. Now they're called embodiment sessions. And the entire point of these photography sessions is to show 
and to own that true, authentic beauty that we all house, no matter the appearances on the outside. The fact that we are beautiful human beings and that we own our bodies and that we can leave our mark in this world, that is beautiful. And Mackenzie is able to capture that in women of all shapes, sizes, and from all over the world. My husband, Brian, he organized with her and set me up to have a trilogy, to have a photo session done before, during, and after the storm so that I could recognize, could feel that true beauty. And in many ways, it was a catalyst in my own healing. Not only did Mackenzie capture the essence of my inner beauty, but the sessions themselves, they were empowering. I became connected with the world around me. I no longer felt isolated. I was part of something, connecting to the world, connecting with myself. It was a truly powerful moment and a giant step at recognizing who I really was and who I wanted to be. Since meeting Mackenzie back in the midst of my own storm, she's expanded her business. And in addition to her photography business, she's dedicated herself to helping people reconnect and reclaim who they are. She started Lilith and Lavender in addition to the embodiment sessions, which were formerly goddess sessions. And Mackenzie now offers Tantra and intimacy coaching and energy healing as well. So to learn more about these opportunities and how they can benefit breast cancer patients, we are blessed and very, very fortunate to welcome with us today, Mackenzie Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us, Mackenzie. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. We've spoken a lot, and I know that you're passionate about helping people connect and learn to accept themselves completely. Where does this passion stem from? What keeps you motivated to continue? And I'm going to say changing the world. And I know you don't give yourself enough credit for that. <laughs> and you're like, choice, don't overplay it. <laughs> <Yeah>. But... <laughs> But you, you are because in the work that you do, you're helping people connect and accept themselves. And that is huge. So what helps keep you motivated? I guess where it kind of stems from to answer the first part of the question is my own journey with my body. I have never had cancer, but I have struggled with body image my whole life. And being in a larger body as a child, I was very ostracized. I was very, I got really traumatized at the doctor's office, you know, like being fat shamed as an eight-year-old child. Um, And so this was something that really imprinted in me at a young age. And as I got older, you know, for a long time, I thought it was just me. Oh, it's just because I'm in a bigger body that I don't, I can't love myself or my body's not good enough. And as I got older, and especially as I got into photography, I realized like, wow, this is actually an epidemic of people that don't love their bodies. And And the reason they think that can be so different. It could be, you know, similar to what you experienced. It could be breast cancer. It could be a thousand other things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and and what you know, it's interesting is it, and it also doesn't matter like what class you live in or you know like what area of the country necessarily. Like it, it's kind of an all pervasive epidemic that I have noticed, and especially you know do, starting out with photography and being in the wedding industry. I mean, I have brides that get plastic surgery just for their wedding day because they don't feel good enough. You know, they they need to yeah. look a certain way. 
and you know, it, it, I'm not shaming anyone who chooses to modify their body in any way. It's more of the fact of like, where is that need coming from? Right. You know, like, why do we as a society spend the amount of money on even like cosmetics? You know, it's like, here I am, I'm sitting here wearing cosmetics. It's not like I'm anti these things. I think it's just a good inquiry inquiry to ask yourself, like, what is your motivation? Like, are you right. doing this to adorn yourself and as a celebration of who you are? Are you doing this because you feel shame? Because like you yeah. can't accept yourself, like you can't and love yourself. And that's the difference. Not saying yes. that any of these things are, are bad or wrong. It's just what is your motivation for yes. that? And yeah, it- and, and having to be really honest with yourself and uh, kind of accept what arises when you do inquire about the reason behind why you're doing these things. Right. I'm glad you mentioned that about you know women of all different sorts all shapes all sizes all ethnicities because you have traveled the world and you've photographed women of all sorts and even though physical appearances we are all unique Mm -hmm. what would you say is one of those common threads to our humanity I think for me what I always come back to is our intrinsic connection to nature and how we are all born with this, you know, it's like you see a newborn child and there's just this glow and this innocence, like they haven't been conditioned or tainted by the world yet. There's this like infinite energy that connects everything in life. And some people call that God, some people call it nature, you know, so, you know, we have different words for where we find connection together. And I think that when, you know, especially as adults, it's like, we have to go back and really unravel and decondition what is this that I took on that doesn't belong to me and who am I in my true nature like who who am I underneath the scars and the traumas and you know the the body image issues and the cancer and all of these things because life is going to include a polarity of suffering and joy and you really can't know one without the other right that's beautifully said it's not like it's affecting just one particular kind of person. It affects all of us across the board in some way or another. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, you can definitely look at different demographics of people and see, okay, well, this group of people is maybe suffering in this way, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's people who don't have access to education or resources the way that people with more privilege have. But I can tell you that, Working in the wedding industry, like obviously having a big wedding is a privilege, right? Like it costs a lot of money. And so I have been around people with a lot of privilege. Also, I grew up middle class privileged and it's just the issues are different. The wounding is different. So it's not, you know, there's obviously systemic suffering that needs to be addressed in like a political sphere, like a socioeconomic sphere. But I think that, like I said, everyone just has a different flavor of trauma. Yeah. Yeah. A flavor. Yeah. Let's talk about the name of your business. It's called Lilith and Lavender, and you wrote on your website, the name Lilith and Lavender is meant to illustrate the dance between the light and shadow, which is inherent within the nature of duality. You continue to write, I believe that through the practice of compassionate awareness, radical acceptance, and embodiment, our greatest shadows and wounds can become reintegrated and transform into the gifts we share with the world. That is beautiful. Well said. And I I do believe we can sculpt goodness from our shadows. What are some of the examples maybe you've witnessed of how someone's brokenness, their deep, painful fall or insecurity, whatever their shadow is, an example of how that has somehow become the birthplace of so much beauty and gifts offered to the world? 
Well, Joyce, it's funny that you ask because I'm sitting right in front of you. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, remembering that I met you like several, what, several days before your surgery, right? And we just talked about this before we started recording that it's like, I could see in you that, wow, this woman's going to do really beautiful things with this. This is going to be profound for her. Mm. And, and, you know, like I said before, I was never going to say, oh, you're definitely going to get through this and you're going to be right. fine because I'm not, I, I, I don't have the crystal ball. <laughs> right. I believe in free will and choice and all of these things, you know, so, right. but, you know, look at what you're doing now. You know, you've gone through this really dark night of the soul yeah. and you're coming out and what are you doing? You are using the wound to then shine a light for other people and to make people feel less alone, you know? And I've seen people that have struggled a lot with, for example, like isolation, feeling really isolated as a child, Mm -hmm. right? Those are some of the people that I know that are the most warm, welcoming. They know how to make everyone feel like a part of their family, right? Like Because they have experienced what it feels like to feel isolated. So they never want anyone else to feel that way. It gives great empathy. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, that's how I am. Like I said before, of my body image stuff, it's like I want people to feel so empowered in their body because I spent the first literally 25, 27 years of my life at war with my body. And I know what that feels like. And I... I want people to, especially, you know, younger generations growing up, like I have a daughter that's 10 years old. It's it's a huge goal of mine to make sure that she feels that no matter what her body looks like on the outside, because obviously things happen, accidents happen, cancer happens, you know, mm-hmm. people get in car accidents or have, you know, burns and things. And it's like, are, are you going to just give up on the beauty of everything that you embody and who you are as a soul and a person? Because we had to have a a limb cut off during an emergency surgery or something, you know, it just, it doesn't, life doesn't have to stop because our physical body is changing. And that's one of the things that I absolutely love about your photography sessions, your embodiment sessions, is that you help people experience and feel that. And then not only do they feel that in the actual act of, of going through and owning themselves in these photos, But you're able, I mean, you're a brilliant artist. You're able to pull that out so that when you have that photo in front of you, you can see you might have been marked by X, Y, or Z from the world, but where is your beauty really coming from? It's coming from within. So when people have a photo session with you and they get to see those photographs, they actually see that. But even more so than that, they feel it when they're having those sessions done. And that's incredibly empowering. In your blog, you also wrote an article on transformation. I like went all to your website. Let's <laughs> let's go ahead and put that plug in here. What is what is your website? Uh, it's www.lilithandlavender.com. Okay. So I went all through that and I was like looking at all your articles that you've written. You say things so beautifully. Your sentiments and your points are right there. Your points are right on point. <laughs> and in the article you wrote, transformation, you said, quote, there is no question that transformation and change can evoke pain. The question is, how do we create a safe space for it and allow ourselves to expand and grow from its lessons instead of getting metaphorically steamrolled by our circumstances? How do we learn to hold ourselves with compassion as the layers of our identity fall away, revealing a new way of being in the world, in relationships, and in our bodies? That's what you wrote in your article. And there you have it. The question is how, right? Mm-hmm. How do you do that? And I know that that strikes at the cornerstone truths of healing after any trauma, especially mm-hmm. breast cancer. 
the question that we all want to know is, okay, so I get it. I want to love and accept myself. But how do I do that when I'm dealing with all of these things? How do I transform? And your answer was very much on point. Like I said, your points were on point. (laughs) Tell us what you said the answer is and then what you mean by that. My answer for that is that in my own personal journey, especially, is that the only way out is through. And, you know, that doesn't always mean it's going to look graceful. I think that that's a, you know, I don't want to shame anyone who's crying on the bathroom floor and having been there. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's all about loving everything that comes up and basically radically accepting exactly where you are, allowing the grief, allowing the pain and trusting that you've got this, like you are strong enough. I am strong enough to feel grief to feel like debilitating agony and grief, and that it's not actually going to steamroll me. I think where we get stuck as humans is we don't want to feel pain, you know, and I Mm -hmm. I get that. I hate feeling pain. Nobody likes feeling pain. But the truth is, is that pain and suffering to some degree is the catalyst for transformation. And I mean, look at where you are right now. Like, would you be here now had you not gone through? And that's not like to say, oh, I'm so grateful we had cancer. Oh, like, yeah. no, that's definitely you. not yeah. what I'm saying. Oh, I talked about that in a previous episode too. It's not that I'm grateful for that boulder. It's not that I'm right. grateful for the terrible thing that has happened. Right. But finding things in the midst of something so horrible, right. either in the moments before or even in the aftermath of, to be grateful mm-hmm. for, that is powering. It doesn't mean that we love and appreciate and would want to do it all over again because if somebody gave me that opportunity I'd say no thank you right yeah, exactly <laughs> no ain't happening but recognizing that the parts of what we're grateful for and the the beauty and the gifts that can come still being grateful for those without liking and wanting the thing that was that right. catalyst in the first place right I think it's I think it's a matter of honoring okay how is this circumstance helping me to awaken to a deeper nature that I am like how is this circumstance breaking my heart open wider so that I can have more empathy I can feel more compassion towards myself towards other people like how is this going to inspire me to change the world yeah and sometimes it can be hard to see that Mm -hmm. in the midst of it absolutely I like to picture somebody had said okay it's a blip in time but when you're in the middle of that blip it feels Terrible. So if you can imagine like a line just going across the page, right? Like straight line, straight line. And then you hit your blip and it's the waves going up and down Mm -hmm. really intense. And then it'll be a straight line again afterwards. Well, when you're in that blip and those waves are super high and super low, you can't necessarily see past it. Absolutely. It can be hard. But I like what you said. Trust that you will emerge stronger on the other side. And, you know, I just want to say, too, that a lot of the tools and practices that I share are for those moments. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're all embodiment practices. They're all somatic healing practices. So this is things like breath work, like meditation. How many times I can't even tell you that I've sat in a bathtub holding my body, just sobbing and just saying, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm, I love you. I'm so sorry. You know, just just really like learning how to be your own savior and your own parent and mm-hmm. your own source of refuge really because it's it's not a mat we don't want to bypass those those experiences or those moments because then they just get stored in your body anyway you know and that yeah. can lead to even more illness or on you know right if we're not processing things you speak of radical acceptance for those that don't know what that is help us understand what is what is radical acceptance 
Great question. So the term radical acceptance, I first heard by a Buddhist teacher. She's also a clinical psychologist, I believe, um, named Tara Brock. She's fantastic. She actually just came out with a book called Radical Compassion, too, which I'm getting ready to read. But basically that this idea of radical acceptance, or you can think of it as like radical self-acceptance, is like you don't have to necessarily love where you are right now. If you're experiencing emotions arising or if you find out you have breast cancer or if, you know, you are being body shamed by someone, you know, you can you could use that any analogy here. But whenever you're having an, an uncomfortable or quote unquote negative emotion arise, it's just allowing that experience to have space. It's like there's all these different parts of us, you know, and right. and we've, we've learned at such a young age that we have to shove away parts of us that aren't so socially acceptable like being angry or being sad or grieving. It's like, what are you complaining about? You know, like you, right. especially if you have privilege. Or the whole suck it up, buttercup. Exactly. <laughs> or pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, it's like this, these are, these are phrases or things that we've heard for so long that really minimize our pain. And, you know, we don't want to get caught in like a victim state forever. But in my experience, the only way to move through that victim state is the radical acceptance is saying, hey, I see you. I see all of your pain. I'm so sorry you're feeling that. And just right. allowing it, allowing yourself to be present with the emotion instead of numbing it out, instead of, you know, in whatever way you choose to do that. I think a big misunderstanding is one that I myself had at the beginning. I thought that sadness and fear was somehow equivalent to weakness. Mm -hmm. And I was so terrified of being weak. I had to fight cancer. I had no room to be weak. So how dare you sadness and fear and grief and all of the feels that I didn't like coming into play? How dare you be there? Mm -hmm. And that created a lot of internal agony, right? So finally learning to accept, not meaning you like it, but at least recognize that it's there. And I like the analogy of, um, and I've said this so many times, but I love it. So here it is again, <laughs> is the whole cookie dough analogy. And that I hate raw egg, not going to eat that. Who does that? Yuck. But cookie dough, <laughs> I will gobble up some cookie dough. I'm not going to eat just an egg all by itself. Right, right, right. <laughs> but you fold that into some cookie dough and I'll eat the whole darn batter, right? Well, you can't get the cookie dough without the egg. I am not defined by the egg alone, nor am I defined by those chocolate chips alone. I am the whole batter. And that's hard to recognize when you're really folding in that egg and you see it go and you're like, dude, I am not about ready to touch that, right? Mm -hmm. Like those hard moments are hard. Well, and as humans, I think we are we naturally want to control you know, and oh, so yeah. if, if if I don't have to look at the fear, if I don't have to look at this pain, if I can be strong, that means that I'm more likely to get through this. And I know that there's I know there's studies out there about, you know, meditation or positive thinking or affirmation that, you know, people who struggle with illness might have um, a better chance of recovery if they don't, quote unquote, like give up on life. And so I'm not I'm not saying that that's not partially true, but I also think that that's a slippery slope because then what about these people that are like really into like the law of attraction, they're like, oh no, I manifested cancer. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, I, if I, I just wasn't eating perfectly or I wasn't, you know, thinking the perfect thoughts and that led me to this terrible experience. And I think that that's very damaging. Right. Um, 
And, you know, I just, I was, when you were just sharing that, I kept thinking of when I first met you at your first session and I could feel that in you. I, I could feel you're just like, you're pumping yourself up and you're like, we're, yeah. I have to get through this. I have to be strong for my girls. I have to be strong for my husband. And I was like, you know, that's great. Like you can go home and be strong, but like you're in the middle of the woods with me right now. Right. So you should just let yourself feel it. Be. And you just. Just be. Yeah. Just be with it. And there's a surrender and like a light. Like, it's like when you allow yourself to feel grief and to like, you know, express it through your body in whatever way it feels natural, it's like you've never felt more free and light. You know, there's a lightness that happens. And um, it doesn't own you. I think a lot of people are afraid that if you surrender, if you admit, if you accept it as part of you, then somehow it owns you. And that's not the case. Or it's going to take you all the way down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, God. I, I remember even echoing those words. Like, I can't <laughs> let it have me. <laughs> it's not really about yeah. that. It's about that radical acceptance that you were talking about. So let's talk more about some of the things that Lilith and Lavender offers. The embodiment sessions that I know has brought us together because my husband got them for me. And we did it before, during, and after the storm. But tell us... Tell us more about what those embodiment sessions are. So again, you know, I've had what, 10 years of wedding photography under my belt at this point. And so my, my, you know, I started doing energy healing also around 10 years ago. And so as you can imagine, one of these things is extremely calming for your nervous system and feels really like beautiful and light. And then wedding photography was like this wedding industrial complex, like very stressful, lots of body shaming and self-deprecating speech around body, you know, even like this, like the, what you would look at as like the quote unquote ideal beauty, (laughs) you know, in our society, these women were still having like all of this shame and insecurity around their bodies. And I was like, this just doesn't feel like it's necessarily serving me. And it's not really serving these women either. And, you know, a lot of brides would ask for boudoir sessions. And so I tried to do traditional boudoir. I have seen a lot of um, more traditional boudoir photographers that do really great work. There's a lot of them now that I've found in the last year or so that are very feminist and like very much inclusive of all different types of bodies and these things. But at the time when I started these sessions, I had only ever seen very traditional boudoir. And so traditional boudoir, if you've never seen it, tends to have more of kind of a male gaze um, appeal, which again, there's nothing, I'm not shaming that there's nothing wrong with that. People can express themselves however it feels authentic to them. For me personally, I just, I wanted to make these sessions much more about women celebrating and feeling good in their own sensuality and their own bodies and not necessarily for another person. Like a lot of times brides would get um, a boudoir session and make an album like for their partner, which again, is totally fine. But that just wasn't where my heart was at at the time. You know? It's a different strategy. Yeah, it's a different absolutely. angle. It's a different, absolutely. It's a different kind of need or and or art. And um, I think you kind of really already said this, but my my impression, of the difference here too, and I always say this word wrong, boudoir. Boudoir, yeah. Boudoir. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so the boudoir sessions, they tend to be more sensual and suggestive. And, it, and I think it, this is my opinion, that it's often more for the one who's seeing the photo this kind of essence of provocativeness, like I'm here to give something for you, whereas the embodiment sessions are more about the one in the phono. This is me. Like I feel like, what's her name? Kiala Settle needs to break out with Insomni, the greatest (laughs) showman. Like this is me. This is all of who I am. And that is enough. That is beauty. So the focal point of who is it for, what is it really saying is the 
the shift. Right. And I think, you know, as I have developed these intentions for these sessions, I think that those two are starting to merge a little bit more because I'm becoming aware of like, oh, it is possible for a woman to feel really sexy in her body and it still be for her. Like, what a concept. Like, I had never even... Because that wasn't where I was at in my journey when I started. So it's like, the more I embrace my own body and my own sensuality, I can feel that sense of empowerment in myself and also take a traditional boudoir photo, you know? But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That was definitely my intention when I started. And it was much... You know, and the other thing is traditional boudoir usually it's like women in lingerie on a bed somewhere, you know, it's just more structured. That's how it tends to be. And so the part of the reason I didn't want to call it boudoir is because I wanted to take the association out with Mm -hmm. what it quote unquote needs to look like. So when someone inquires, like, you know, you inquired for the embodiment session, I let them know like where, you know, you can have as little or as much clothing as you feel comfortable. You can have props. You can, we can do this in nature. I usually prefer to do them in nature because I find it very grounding and very medicinal. And there's something about being naked in the woods or partly naked in the woods that feels so primal and just, like I said, very grounding. and Very grounding. Yeah. It helps in that process of learning to accept yourself. Mm -hmm. I am here. I am part of this. Yes. And that is beautiful. And it encourages people to take ownership of themselves. Mm -hmm. I'm beautiful. Mm -hmm. I'm worthy and I'm loved just as I am Mm -hmm. in this state at this moment. Nothing more and nothing less as is. And so clients can experience that either clothed or unclothed mm-hmm. or partly. Or both, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know in the beginning, um, I'm I'm very private person. Right, yeah. And so I'm like, nope, 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 nope. But even so, I still experience that transformation. Mm-hmm. Then when we had the, during the storm photo session, and I had had my surgery and I have these scars that go across the curvature of my breasts. I braved showing them in the photos, not because I was trying to get anybody to think or see or anything else. It was more about recognizing myself that these scars are part of my story. Mm -hmm. They're part of my journey, but they don't own me either. They're just marks that are placed on my body that one of my friends has said this before, marks placed on your body that show that you lived. Absolutely. And that is beautiful. So whether or not you have physical scars or not, beauty is coming from within and recognizing and in celebrating and in owning all of that. Yeah. And I just wanted to comment on what you just mentioned too, about the fact that, you know, you're a very modest private person. And as you know, from this experience, like I think so much of this is about just allowing yourself to be seen is extremely intimate, right? So it's like, even if you were fully clothed, Like lots of people hate getting their photo taken because they either don't like the way they look or, but really it's just a very intimate experience. And so it's, it's, I think that it's empowering, like you said, whether or not you're fully clothed or you're partially clothed, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's just really allowing the essence of who you are to come through in those images. And that in order to do that, you have to be relaxed. You have to be open to the experience. You You have have to, you have to let me see you. You have to be you. Yes. You have to show up (laughs) and be you. And let me see that part of you, you know, and that. 
and especially if you've never, you know, we had never met before. Right. Um, and so to show up you know, with this total stranger and walk into the woods. <laughs> like, this is me. Wait, wait, wait. Are you sure yeah. you're ready for it? This is me. Yeah, it's a big deal. So since we met, there has been a name change for the photographies. Yes. It was originally called Goddess Sessions, yes. and now they're Embodiment Sessions. What's the reasoning for the change of name? So the goddess session name came to me because I was thinking about how in this culture, femininity seems, at least in pop culture, you know, like the media is very, there's kind of this like boxed in versions of feminine archetypes. So, you know, you're either like the Madonna or the the horror complex, you know, it's like you're one or the other. You're either like the wife and mother or you're like sexual and empowered in a certain way. And it it, it bothers me because as women, we're all of these things. Mm -hmm. We are multi, I mean, not just women, people are, are multifaceted. And that's part of our humanity. It's not something we need to feel shame about. And so, and you know, some women feel really, really beautiful and really empowered, like getting dressed up, wearing makeup with doing these kind of like hyper feminine things. And that makes other women feel really disempowered and kind of boxed into that, in that, you know, kind of pigeonholed, you could say. And so if you look at other cultures like mythology, you know, you see all these different archetypes of femininity. There's like the warrior, there's the mother, there, you know, there, there's just all of these different archetypes that you can play with, you know, you can kind of like method act and right. let yourself express these different parts of your, your personality. And that worked for a while. I mean, I definitely talked to a lot of people and they enjoyed that. But as I, you know, went through my Tantra training and I started becoming, you know, my sexology license and started becoming more aware of gender identity and these things, I wanted to open up this experience for people who don't necessarily identify as women. You know, there's people with female genitalia that don't identify as female. And there's lots of men that have body issues as well and feel disempowered in their body or their sensuality for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And that I'm also opening it up to couples Mm -hmm. so that couples can have that experience together as well. So So embodiment being embody your body. Own own who you you are. Yeah, absolutely. So the element of true beauty then, what would you, if you were given a line to say, this is true beauty, what would that be? Well, I think that true beauty or beauty in general is subjective. So I can only give you my interpretation of what I think beauty is. And in my experience, beauty is, you know, whether you're experiencing it in yourself or you're being inspired by somebody else's beauty, whether it's their physical appearance or their art or their sharing I think it's something that connects you to something deeper. It's about the experience and what beauty invokes within you. That's beautiful. That's very well said. I think at the heart of it too, I wrote this in in a previous article that I'd written. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but there is an excerpt that I wrote about what I think true beauty is. I said, here's where we redefine beauty and it applies to us all. It's easy to criticize and compare, to mourn for what we've lost or to yearn for what we lack. It's easy to feel anger and judgment while ridiculing our differences and our vulnerabilities. But y'all, I own this body that houses me. It is mine. It belongs to me and no other. It is what carries me through this life. And every scrape, every bruise, every scar, visible and invisible, that it keeps, they belong to me too. They are mine. This is me. This body is my boat, my vehicle that affords me life. This is who I am, down to the stitches that have sewn me together. No matter the shape, no matter the size, no matter the losses or the scars, the fact that my body is still here, still breathing, that it still carries me day after day and year after year is perhaps the most beautiful thing that I could ever dream up. 
just owning that. Mm-hmm. And, well, and, and, and beauty inspires us. So like what you just, your definition of beauty, just speaking that out loud, that invoked beauty in me, that, that, that inspired me to, I don't know. I just, it's so beautiful. Like your wording is absolutely perfect. I mean, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so that's a little bit more about the embodiment sessions, but that's not all that you do. Lilith and Lavender, you expanded what you offer. You also have energy healing. For those that have no idea what that entails, walk us through energy healing. Okay. So if you look up Reiki or energy healing online, you're going to find 10 billion different <laughs> articles, probably some a little ungrounded than others. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I started doing energy healing almost 10 years ago, and I started actually doing it for hospice. So in a nutshell, you can look at it as like a spiritual practice. You can look at it as uh, calming your nervous system down. You know, when it's it's a very gentle, hands-on healing approach where, you know, if someone comes in, they lay on the massage table or a chair, whatever's comfortable for them. And I slowly begin, you know, placing my hands like on their, on their ears or on their head or on, you know, different parts of their body. And, and this is Reiki? This is, yeah, Reiki. And I'm sorry, I should have clarified that. Reiki is like a specific lineage of energy healing. I don't only practice that. I've kind of like morphed gotcha. it into my own style. You know, I use a lot of like meditation and like guided visualization. So you can kind of think of it as like an assisted meditative state. So for people who are experiencing trauma or who have experienced trauma in the past, whether that's, you know, physical illness or otherwise, what people don't understand about trauma is that it's really any, any time your body has gone through something that it wasn't able to process, it's kind of stored in our cells and in our tissues. So while you, like I said, while you can kind of think of energy healing or Reiki as this kind of spiritual practice, it's also um, very much about keeping the nervous system calm. It's all about creating a safe space and allowing your body, you know, our bodies are naturally designed to heal themselves. Like it's, they're magical. (laughs) And so when you are in a space where you're able to tap into a different realm of consciousness, like you're able to relax very deeply, you're helping your body to do its own work. Like you are helping your body. So I'm, you know, I'm very clear. I don't, I do not call myself a healer. I don't, not, not to judge anyone that does use that term, but I really want people to know, like, I am not healing you. I am helping to facilitate a space for you to heal yourself. Like Mm -hmm. this is, you know, and a lot of times people will come in and have big emotional releases because, you know, people might not have a safe space to let those emotions out. They might not have the tools to process them on their own. And that Um, can lead to um, facilitating the radical acceptance that you were talking about before. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's, you know, it's funny, it's similar to the story I was telling before when you came into the woods and I felt all your, like, I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be strong. I'm not going to feel this. And I was like, Joyce, it's okay. You're allowed to feel this. Like, Mm -hmm. and and that's pretty much what I'm doing when people come in. Sometimes I, you know, at the beginning of a session, I'll, like I said, I'll kind of check in with a person, see where they're at. Some people want more guidance than others. Some people just kind of want to lay on the table and just have like a really relaxing experience for an hour mm-hmm. we are very deprived of touch in this culture like it's we have a lot of boundaries up you know like in in europe people kiss each other on the cheeks and they hug strangers and it's just normal that's our culture but in america it's not as much that way unless you grew up in, in a family that is that more of that, that culture mm-hmm. yeah 
And so obviously like everything's on top of clothing. It's very professional, but you know, even just like a light touch on someone's shoulder, like that person might not have any idea how much they're holding in their body until someone puts their hands there. Right. And then all of a sudden grief comes up or shame or uh, just stress. Like a lot of people come in are just very stressed out. And not to be afraid of that when it comes up, because as you've already said, the only way out is through. Yes, absolutely. You also talked about the breath. How important is it to remember to breathe? I know someone would be like, Joyce, you got to breathe. And I'm like, dude, I have totally forgotten the steps yeah. for that. Like, what is inhaling? Yeah. Uh, what What are the steps to breathing? I totally forgot. No, but um, all joking aside, what? how important is the breath? I mean, our breath is our life source. You know, it's extremely important to breathe. And because we live in a very traumatized, very uh, workaholic, stressed out culture, there's the majority of people are walking around kind of doing this like short, shallow rabbit breathing. We're not really breathing fully like into our bellies. You know, if you watch babies breathe, babies breathe into their diaphragm, into their bellies. And the reason that breath is so important other than the obvious that it (laughs) keeps us alive is that it regulates our nervous system. And if you stop breathing, you are telling your your body, your autonomic nervous system thinks that you're in a panic state. So, you know, our nervous system in our fight, flight, freeze, fawn response is really important. Like if you're being chased by a bear or if you walk out into the street and all of a sudden there's a bus coming, like you need to move, right? Right. You need to get out of there. But in our day and age, like that same stress response in the body is caused by, you know, overdue bills or uh, homework or, you know, relationship conflict, cancer, you know, like having all these big things that come up, but it doesn't always mean we're being chased by a bear. So in the moments, like even if you are going through treatment, for example, obviously there's a lot of fear, a there's lot, a lot of, of fight and flight going on, a lot on there. of anxiety right. that comes up because you don't know the future. You can't know what's going to happen. Is the treatment going to work? So what you can do in those moments is come back to the breath because you can't look into the future. You don't know. All you know is right here, right now. All you can do is sit with your breath, sit with your body, let whatever is arising come up in that moment and breathe through it. Without judgment. Without judgment. Uh, Tara Brock, the woman I that wrote Radical Acceptance book that I was referring to earlier, she talks about the double arrow. And I love this because I am a queen of the double arrow, which is I have a quote unquote negative thought or a negative uh, belief come up or a negative emotion. That's the first arrow. The first arrow is like, oh, I feel this shame or I feel this fear. I feel this anxiety. And the second arrow is we shame ourselves for feeling it. So you're you're piercing yourself twice. (laughs) Were you in my head? Like survivorhood? Uh Like I felt like, and I I know that I'm not the only breast cancer survivor that has felt something similar to Mm -hmm. that. It's that added layer on top. So you get to the end and you're like, I should be happy and joyful and all of these good, happy, feel good emotions. And not that I'm not. But then on top of that, I'm still having to process through some of the emotions that I haven't completely dealt with. Mm -hmm. So there's still an element of grief and fear and Mm -hmm. sadness that's there. And then what do I do? It's like this double arrow Mm -hmm. thing you're talking about. I put another layer of shame on top of it. Like... Well, I'm not allowed to feel those things Why aren't now. Why more grateful, Joyce? Right, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yep. Or, or so-and-so had it worse. Why mm-hmm. can't I? I made it. I am here. Not everybody gets to be here. So what we end up doing is we deprive ourselves of the sense of our own emotions. Yeah, it's, it's actually a form of self-abandonment, really. You know, and it's like that's where we need to show up for ourselves the most. And it's the most difficult. And it's nobody's yeah. fault. I mean... 
there's the whole hierarchy of needs. I feel like my generation is, I'm not coming right out of the Great Depression. You know, it's like I've had the privilege to be able to do this kind of emotional processing. Um, And that's not, that's going to depend on your class and your situation and the amount of privilege that you have. I did want to mention one thing is uh, you were talking about that process of like when you're in the treatment, right? Like, and you're, there's a lot of fight flight going on during that whole time, probably. It's probably very anxiety ridden. People are not really able necessarily to always process during a trauma. My God, yes. Right? You've been in my therapy no, sessions. Yeah. Like, it's, it's not. It, have this and, conversation. and the reason why is because your body is protecting itself. It's like, okay, I'm in fight flight. Like I got to get through this. It's, you know, you are being a warrior basically to fight this battle. Right. And so what you just spoke to is so profound and such a beautiful insight for other people who have, are going through this experience because I just, you know, you have to give yourself permission to understand and to go through the grieving process once you're safe. Right. Because when you are grieving, when you're feeling, when you're processing emotions, what that means is that you're safe to feel. Right. If you're not safe, you're not going to feel those things because you're you're going to be in fight flight. This is so huge, so huge for people to recognize mm-hmm. because it is a it's a big issue that I've heard across the board. People want to stuff it in and deny it and not mm-hmm. talk about it, and there becomes this sense of shame and silence mm-hmm. without emotional element to healing. But what I have found with the number of people that I've talked to is it's it's universal. It's across the board. People just aren't saying anything because they don't feel like they should right and i can i I mean i'm not again i'm not a breast cancer survivor but i can only imagine that the emotional processing or not the emotional processing but the the weight of the trauma that you have just gone through would be exponentially more intense after because and it is for the same oh reason I just mentioned. And, but. and I like to think that i'm an, an intelligent human being but while i was going through that treatment who i was in the middle of my journey at the beginning in mm-hmm. in the midst of the storm, I didn't fully get that mm-hmm. until it slammed me afterwards. And then I still tried to deny it, but it is very much a thing. And I have had that conversation so many times <laughs> with my therapist too, that like that sometimes that emotional healing comes mm-hmm. after that physical trial and that's okay. In my training, we learned, so, you know, in, in a therapeutic sense is a little, there's different kind of stages to healing trauma that they go through. I think that the one that I read last was like three different stages or something. But for when you're talking about healing in the body and somatic healing, first of all, understanding that trauma is stored in the nervous system. So, you know, you are an extremely intelligent person. That doesn't mean that your body is going to heal at the same pace as your mind, Right. It's going to be different. Like your body, not only did you just go through chemo and surgery, you know, it's like those are huge traumas to the physical body. Mm-hmm. And so we learned that you kind of process trauma through in the body backwards. So, you know, you start off functioning, right? Like you're fine. And then there's the irritation. Like the, the, the analogy that we learned in school was you're walking down the street and you're functioning. You're fine. You're just going to the grocery store. And then all of a sudden, like someone pops out behind you and you feel... Ooh, like your hair stands on edge and you feel irritated. Like something's like your body's telling you like something's not right. And then you get attacked or something, you know, um, and that's pain. Mm-hmm. So then comes the pain. And then after pain, you know, our bodies are only designed to heal, feel so much pain before we check out. You know, we start to dissociate because it's a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a beautiful, it keeps people alive. But what happens is we experience so much trauma and pain that we check out and we go numb. And where the issue really comes in is that, you know, none of us want to be numb. 
because then we're not feeling anything, right? right? We don't want to. We don't. It does just sound appealing out. in that moment, if right? You escape. <laughs> well, I mean, but, yeah, it's great in yeah. in the trauma, in like, the trauma but moment. but after the trauma's over, and you actually you want to come back to that safe and social nervous system where you can, you know, be intimate with your partner or your children, or right. you know, you want to be able to live life again, and living life includes emotions, right? And right. so the the issue is is that we get stuck in between, and this is where all addictions form, by the way, numbness, pain. So it's like you don't want to be numb, so you start the healing work. You start the emotional processing or whatever that healing journey is for you. And then as, like I said, when you're safe to feel, what happens when you stop being numb is the pain arises. Mm -hmm. And when the pain arises, we're like, oh crap, I really don't want to feel that. So then we go, we bounce back and forth between numbness, pain, numbness, pain, numbness, pain. And then a lot of people get stuck there. Right. And so, you know, I just wanted to, to bring that up because the way it had that analogy or that, that theory has really helped me in my own processing of my own trauma has been that when I start to feel pain, I can recognize it right away, you know, with meditation and everything, you start to become more aware of these patterns in yourself. And it's like, Oh, today I'm feeling numb. And then the next day I wake up and it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm feeling this pain. I'm crying. I'm feeling grief or whatever. And instead of doing the double arrow and shaming myself for, Oh, like, why haven't I healed this yet? I've been in therapy for so long. Why is this coming back up? You know, it's just like, Oh, my body feels safe enough for me to release this right now. I love that. That is yeah. an excellent. We talk about a shift in perspective. Mm-hmm. That is an excellent shift in perspective. When that's coming up, at least give yourself that permission yeah. because recognizing that I am safe enough to feel this. And also adding on too that when you feel that, I had somebody tell me once before, no feeling is going to last forever. Oh, yes. Absolutely. So it'll come and it will go mm-hmm. even if it doesn't feel like it's going to ever go away. It will. Yeah. And I would say the number one most important thing to remember, you know, even in terms of the numbness, pain, irritation function, what I just went over is that it's not linear. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be, oh, look, I'm in pain and for two weeks and then I get through the pain and now I'm just, oh, now I'm just a little irritated. Now, oh, now I'm functioning. It's going to be maybe one day you wake up and you feel fantastic. And then two days later, you wake up in a grief hole. And then three days later, you wake up and you're just kind of like snappy with everyone around. You know, those are all trauma symptoms. Those are not like you being a bad person. These are different stages of your nervous system or different um, levels of your nervous system. So, yeah, you are putting into words everything that I have felt and haven't been able to put into words. And I know I'm not the only one, but very, very much some truth there to that recognizing all of that and giving yourself that shift in perspective is absolutely huge because in trauma, especially with breast cancer, I can speak from my own experience here, is that it in so many ways has robbed you of things. Women lose their breasts if they had a mastectomy or part of them. They might lose their hair if they had chemo or sometimes people get lymphedema and that takes more of their ability, their life away or neuropathy. There, there are all these losses that are happening in record-breaking time. But not only those physical losses, that emotional piece too of this loss of your sense of safety. Mm-hmm. So I think those embodiment sessions that you offer and that energy healing can aid 
with that. Mm-hmm. But then taking it a step further because your company, Lilith and Lavender, offers Tantra and intimacy coaching as well. Mm-hmm. And there is this next layer of vulnerability that women often feel because I've had women tell me that when I mean, you talk about, you know, body shaming, well, maybe I never had that problem before, but now I suddenly look in the mirror and I see these huge scars. I have had breast cancer survivors tell me how much shame they hold in looking at their new selves because it's like these losses have happened in record-breaking time that when they look in the mirror, they don't recognize themselves Mm -hmm. at all. Who they see physically is different. Mm -hmm. Who they are emotionally is now different. And then still being able to come and have an intimate moment with your partner, your spouse, whatever, that takes a whole new level of vulnerability to get to. And I think people need to recognize that who you are now and who you are as a couple now mm-hmm. is going to be <clears throat> different. And you even wrote in one of your blog posts, Cultivating Intimacy, you said, allowing yourself to be completely seen by another and to share a space of intimacy, emotional closeness, and connection is an extremely vulnerable act. And that is so true. So true. We've talked in previous episodes about how communication therapy and sex therapy, how they can all be beneficial. But I want to hear more about what you offer in your company, this Tantra and intimacy coaching. Tell us what that's all about and how it relates. Can I comment on something that you sure. just said too before I like dive into what I like I offer? Bring it. Yep. Because what you said was so right on and, you know, I just, I really am a very big advocate on this idea that you can only be as intimate with another person as you can be with yourself. Oh, that, oh my gosh. That's like, that's like a shattering <laughs> how I met your mother episode when the gra- glass breaks and you're like, yeah. oh my gosh, a whole new way yeah. of, of thinking about things. That's yeah. So- I, I just, I just want to, I wanted to say that because, you know, I can only imagine, you know, I kind of went through a little bit of what you were just speaking to, like after I had my daughter, because my body totally changed and I was only 20 when I had her. So I was supposed to be this like young, hot 20 year old, like I was supposed to have a certain type of body. And I had to figure out what my new, what my relationship was with my new body. How does that affect my sexuality? How does that affect how I walk in the world, you know? And so obviously having breast cancer is going to be that probably times a million because it's not only are you having to, like there's so many different side effects that come with the treatments and everything. So it's just like a, a double whammy. But, you know, I just want to encourage women or, you know, people who have had breast cancer that it's not only okay, but I, like, again, I would encourage it for you to take time to be intimate with yourself. You know, it's like you you can't, because intimacy is not just sex, right? Like intimacy is vulnerability. It's emotions. It's being able to be seen. And Raw acceptance of exactly. who you are. Exactly. And how, you know, you, you can only go as deep with another person emotionally as you can with yourself. And so if you, if you have emotional blocks per se, that are keeping you from feeling safe being intimate with another person because it's probably because you haven't had the chance to navigate your own relationship to your own body yet. And, you know, your body is a part of you, right? right? Your sexuality is intrinsically a part of your nature. Like, it's what makes us human. It's what creates life, you know? Right. So, and it's how we show up in the world. It's our confidence. Like, that's what I think people need to really understand is that sexual energy Yes, it can be used for the act of sex and intimacy and lovemaking. It can also be used for creativity 
it can also be this feeling of like abundance in your body. You know, it's, it's, it can be used for, it can be used for healing. That's partly what I do. And so, yeah, I just wanted to say that because I, you know, I, I would hate to see, or I, I don't know, I haven't spoken to a ton of cancer survivors, but I imagine a lot of women or people with breast cancer might try to jump straight into couples intimacy mm-hmm. before giving themselves time to explore their own body again. Right. And to find a connection with who their body, who they are now and like what, what their needs are now, you know, how are you supposed to, you know, you can explore that with a partner for sure. But it's, I think that that feeling of safety has to come from yourself first. Like have, you know, co-regulating with another person, which is what they call it when you're co-regulating a nervous system is making yourself feel that sense of safety is really beautiful. Like humans are designed for connection with other humans. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I very much encourage co-regulation, but we don't want to be dependent on it, right? Like we want to be able to find that sense of safety in our own body first and then be able to share that with another person. And you will be able to have these beautiful experiences, whether they're just emotional intimacy or sexual intimacy or both. But yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there before like diving into my offerings or anything, because I just think that that's the most important. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's huge. And I think that's another, another little shift in perspective that people may not have necessarily recognized is, I mean, we've talked about this throughout the whole episode here, but it comes back to owning and accepting yourself. Yeah, completely. As is. Mm -hmm. Imperfections and all. And for me, this is such a deep truth because this has been my wound, right? Is like never feeling safe. Mm -hmm. Never feeling safe to be intimate with people, not having enough um, emotional attunement with other people and having to find that in myself and any trauma survivor, no matter what type of trauma it is, is going to need to in some way reestablish that sense of safety for themselves. So going back to the Berenstein Bears book, we got to shift that <laughs> that vision from those yeah. night goggles where everybody's frowning to mm-hmm. back up to that happy. And it's going to be different. Like you, I mean, your view of the world's not going to always be the same as it was prior to whatever trauma you mm-hmm. went to or went through. But that doesn't mean that it's going to stay in that that dark lens either. It's going to be a new. Correct. I had a therapist one time give me a fantastic analogy for trauma healing for whatever kind of trauma. And she said, think of it as like you have a big gash in your arm or your breast, <laughs> right? You know, but she, she said, you know, think you have like a big gash in your arm. And what a lot of people do is they're just like, oh, I just want to, I don't want to deal with this. Right. So what happens is it gets infected and it, you know, mm-hmm. pusses up and it right. you know, can cause staph infection and it can like ruin your life. But in trauma healing, it's not that that that, that scar is always going to be there, mm-hmm. you know. But it's like you look it, it, you look at that scar when you go into trauma healing. You can clean out the wound. You go in. You don't avoid it. You dive in <laughs> with yeah. a, with a specialist. All about therapy. And then, you know, later after you've sutured it up and it's healed, that scar will always be there. You know, that that when you think about that trauma, it will always probably evoke some kind of pain in your body or your emotional field. But it's not giving you staph infection and possibly killing you or, you know, right. ruining your marriage or, right. you know, it doesn't being taken you. out on your... Exactly. It's it part doesn't of you. Own it doesn't you. own yes, you. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So tell us um, more then about your Tantra and intimacy coaching. Oh, yes. Okay. So Tantra is a word that pretty much no one that I have encountered, at least in this part of the country, is really familiar with. And if they have heard it, it's probably being used by, you know, anything from erotica to escorts, you know, something that seems like very out of most people's comfort zones. But the word Tantra actually means to weave. 
and it's a form of yoga. It's an ancient, it's just as old as asana yoga. Like if you go to a yoga class, it's just a different branch of yoga. So tantra, when I say it means to weave, what that really means is, you know, I I believe that there is like a, a source of life alive in everything that's sentient, right? So humans, plants, animals, you can call it whatever you want. Some people call it God, some people call it nature, the universe, consciousness, like it, it doesn't really matter what you, you specifically want to refer to it as, but we'll call it an awareness, right? Okay. There's like an awareness that's present in all living things. And Tantra is about taking things that seem seemingly mundane and connecting into that source of awareness through everything that we do. So Tantra extends so far beyond sexuality. It's, it's finding the connection to life. You know, it's, it's that, it's that source of nectar and bliss that we're all seeking from outside sources all the time, but really it exists within us because we're also a part of nature. And so in regards of intimacy, we're bringing conscious, loving awareness our awareness that we're human beings that are able to grow and expand into our sensuality, into our body. The practices, you know, I'm certified in like a specific lineage, which is like a Tibetan Buddhist lineage, but you don't have to be a certain religion or anything. It's, these are very much somatic healing tools. So just like you go to a yoga class, you can't expect to go to one yoga class and be like, I'm a yogi. You know, like, <laughs> I did five sit-ups. I, I now have abs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It, I am definitely a firm believer that there's no happy pill fix quicks or quick fixes to I've trauma. I've high and low. Yeah, for it just buttons. doesn't, it doesn't exist. exist. But these, the tools that I offer in my tantric and intimacy coaching are tools that help people reconnect with their bodies, calm their nervous systems. There's four pillars uh, that all the different practices fall under. I am an authentic Tantra practitioner. That's the school that I went to, which is actually the only government accredited certified Tantra school in North America. So that makes me feel good. They have like an 18 page code of ethics and everything for anyone who's worried about like, (laughs) you know, worried about those things, which I understand. But the four pillars are meditation, movement, connection and pleasure. And so the idea is that we are working, you know, the meditation helps us connect to the wisdom of the mind and our mental consciousness, our mental awareness. The connection practices help connect us to the wisdom of the heart and the emotional body. The movement practices help us, you know, not only move out stuck trauma that might be stored in the body, especially because the movement that we do is a lot of pelvic movement. So it's fantastic if, you know, you if you feel shut down in that area at all just to bring blood flow back in. Uh, But it also, you know, your body has its own consciousness. You know, your body has its own awareness. And like I said, that's why sometimes your mind is healing on a different timeline than your body. So we are these holistic creatures. We need to treat ourselves as such and make sure that we're not only doing the mental therapy, but that we're also tuning into the body and making sure the body has what it needs in order to facilitate our healing. And then, of course, the the pleasure practices. And the pleasure practices are, of course, what separates tantra yoga from asana yoga or other branches of yoga. And the reason that that we use sexual energy in tantra is, is actually because it's healing. You know, they say that every orgasm that you have is like a glimpse of enlightenment. And 
I think that, you know, as Westerners, we hear the word enlightenment and it seems just like this kind of lofty, unattainable thing, right? Like, are we just going to be some monk sitting in a cave somewhere? Like, I'm sure it'd be really easy to be enlightened if my kids weren't running around the house, you know? (laughs) But I think of enlightenment as like an experiential state of feeling safe and calm in the body. So that means that it's something that you can weave in and out of. You might have moments of feeling that, that feeling of no suffering, right? And then two days later you get a cancer diagnosis and you're not going to feel necessarily feel that same sense of safety and um, perfect, you know, Zen, and not <laughs> Zen emotion. Yeah. It's not going to, yeah. it's not, you're human. You right. have to let yourself be human. So Tantra is really about, okay, this is not a quick fix. This is not going to stop life from happening, but here are some tools and practices that have been passed on from, um, and my, in my lineage, they were passed on from female enlightened teachers. Like, so people, you know, which is pretty cool because yeah. obviously most yoga uh, teachings were passed on from men. So it's kind of, it's just a cool thing. But, you know, we have all of these practices that we can lean into. So it's just how we lean into our grief. We lean into our healing process. What are some things that we can use to support our body to calm our nervous system down? Because that's really all the, the sense of safety that we're looking for is a calm nervous system. So, you know, you can make it as spiritual as you want, but at the end of the day, this is like polyvagal theory. You know, this is, which is all about the vagus nerve and keeping the vagus nerve calm in the body. So, yeah. And then once we learn how to cultivate that practice in ourself and come back to ourself, then we can learn how to bring that into a partnership and we can, we can expand those tools and bring them, you know, into our relationships as well. Right. How does trauma so we're talking breast cancer it affects intimacy so a little bit more specifically diving in anything else that you want to add about how intimacy coaching can help yes so i think one of the biggest issues that i see not only you know somebody that is a trauma survivor but just in culture in general is that we are very goal oriented when it comes oh my God, to do you sexuality. Know me? Like I'm goal oriented <laughs> on freaking everything. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of how we are with our sexuality too and our intimacy is uh, okay, we gotta, you know, we like wanna hurry up and get to a climax or we wanna make sure that this is like a perfect scenario, you know, and mm-hmm. I think it's about redefining what intimacy looks like and mm-hmm. that, you know, we can we can approach sexuality and intimacy from this like super nurturing, very sensual calm, no expectations, no goals. Our goal here, instead of, you know, having an orgasm, we'll say, is to connect to ourself, to connect to our partner, to explore the new sensations in our new bodies and what the experience. It's the experience. Yeah. I think I mean that that's about I mean, being present. Yeah. That kind of transfers across to life too in general. Yeah. Like as I'm hearing you talking, I'm like, this is applicable Yes, with intimacy, but all across within your entire life. Like, mm-hmm. okay, so yes, goals are good. Goals are important. Whether or not it's intimacy goals, like who doesn't like an orgasm, right? <laughs> I mean, come on. But or whether or not they're life goals, like right. it's the it shouldn't be all about get to that goal because then it's going to be constant race. Right. It's going to be go 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 race race to get to the goal. Well, I'm here. What another goal? It's right. going to be that constant stress Mm -hmm. but if you can say okay yes we have goals and they're healthy but to enjoy the entire experience in life and in intimacy the whole experience then that that's another shift that changes things absolutely and I think the reason I wanted to bring that up is because I you know from my own experience and from just talking to lots of women I think that there is this kind of social expectation we can say where women feel 
sometimes pressured to be a certain way sexually, um, to perform. Like, sex is sometimes a duty for people. And it's not, you know, obviously there's lots of couples that aren't that way. But I would say it's kind of another epidemic from my experience that there's a lot of pressure sometimes women feel. And, you know, I'm sure that when you're going through chemotherapy, you probably have a very low libido. Your body is taking all of that life force because sexual energy is life force. So you're taking all that life force back into your own body. You probably don't have a lot to share with a partner. You probably don't feel necessarily turned on or good enough to, to be intimate with a partner. So, you know, I can, I can just imagine like putting myself in that position that like after a treat, you know, after treatment was over, after being in remission, if you're blessed enough to like have that experience that perhaps there might be this like, okay, I want to like get back to normal or I want to get back to like having a sex life again or being connected to my partner. And, you know, perhaps there might be a little bit of internal shaming there going on and so just really giving people especially women permission that it's okay if you need to baby step that way you don't right. that's what and that's what I meant by not being goal oriented is like yeah of course like that is the goal right like of course right. the goal is I want to get back to like a functioning sexuality a functioning intimacy with my partner and myself but the number one you know we all have our arousal system works on like a gas and brake system okay so you have things that are, turn you on and you have things that turn you off I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're just like really aroused and this doesn't even have to be sexually turned on this can be like turned on to life like you're just excited about something and then somebody will say something and like all of a sudden it's just gone <laughs> like right. you're just like not into it anymore and so it's really acknowledging like what are those gas and brakes for me right now like it, I it, you know stress and putting pressure on yourself is going to be like a super break you know like you're not going to be able to feel intimate and connected and close and sexually open with your partner if, if you're internally like all these voices are in your head of like oh is he looking at my my scars or like my body's just not the way it used to be or all these things and so it's just important to just again radical acceptance like become aware of them don't judge yourself for having them understand that oh yeah this is really human of me right now <laughs> like this is human. An extremely human normal experience for me to have right now um, and then just, you know, moving forward, like setting maybe little baby goals and allowing you and your partner to explore in maybe different ways that maybe, uh, for example, like if you've had cervical cancer or if you've had surgery on your ovaries, like not pressuring yourself to have penetrative sex or, mm -hmm. you know, just connecting intimately in other ways that feel safer, not only to you, but to your body mm -hmm. and like allowing yourself to kind of uh, grow in that process. And to heal and to recognize that, the experience of one is going to be different from the experience to the next. So how, how you make it through a trauma, how you make it through cancer and who mm -hmm. you are and how it affects you is going to have its own little flair. Absolutely. And so to not judge and compare, well, so-and-so said that they're going to be mm -hmm. able to do this, like to kind of bring them back in self-love, self-acceptance mm -hmm. along the way. And then you will heal and you will, you will get there. You just need to enjoy the experience and the process. Yeah, and that's such a great point to like not compare yourself. And you know, even even if your doctor says, "Oh, you'll be cleared to have sex in 6 weeks." You know, it's like does your body consent to that? Like right. say the 6 week mark gets there and you're still in pain, like don't push yourself. You know, just right. really honor exactly where you are in that moment. And that's going to facilitate more healing than if you try to be more goal oriented and to put pressure on yourself. Yeah. In your company, Lilith and Lavender, you have these amazing opportunities. You have the embodiment sessions, which we talked about in the photography. You offer the energy healing, and then you also offer the tantra and intimacy coaching. So these three opportunities can help women who 
maybe trying to accept their post-cancer bodies. If somebody's interested in any of the things that they've heard us talk about today, then they can they can contact you and they can do either one of them. Like they can, they can do the embodiment sessions or they can do the Tantra intimacy right. or they can do the energy healing or they can do all, all of the above. It's Correct. not like, it's not like when they contact you, they have to do everything. It's, it's, these are the, the opportunities that you offer. What are you interested in? Right. And I will say that sometimes those things get woven together. So for example, like if someone's really anxious at a, an embodiment session, I'll offer like, would you like a little energy healing just to like calm your nervous system down? Would you like to do some breath work? You know, is there, you know, and I always ask like if, if this person has a specific spirituality that they would like to integrate into the experience to make it really healing for them. You know, I'm very flexible and open to, you know, everyone's different takes on those things. So. Right. How can people find you in the world then? People can find me through my website. It's um, lilithandlavender.com. And that's, let's spell that out. It's L-I-L-I-T-H-A-N-D-L-A-V-E-N-D-E-R.com. Correct. And if they are interested in booking a session, then they can get all the information that they need from that website. Yep. I have a contact forum. And then um, I always ask people, if you're doing energy healing um, and you're in the Savannah area or you'd like to travel here for it, um, you can just go ahead and book right through the website. I have a calendar online um, and I have an office space um, in Midtown Savannah now. But if you're interested in doing Tantra coaching, I also offer that online. So I can do Zoom sessions. And for the Tantra coaching, I do ask that people fill out a little form. It's kind of like a free consultation. Just to, I just always want to make sure that I have the tools that I, you know, that people are looking for because right. I'm a huge advocate for therapy. What I do is not a replacement for therapy by any means. I'm not a sex therapist. So, but I, what but what I offer goes very well in tandem with therapy because oftentimes, you know. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of like you go to therapy and sometimes you get a lot of emotion that gets brought up and then you are sent home and you have to process all of that. So the tools that I share are good for the processing. The part. processing. It's yeah, more the, the somatic part. healing, the body healing. Yeah. I would like to end with my all time favorite question. And I think that everybody that is involved, the people that have made it through, survivors, their family, doctors, therapists, all of the above yourself included, are parts of this light that help let women know that they're not alone. So what is one thing that you like women who may be diagnosed today or tomorrow to walk away from this podcast knowing? Well, I would say that you have permission to feel everything that you need to feel in every moment, that you're not broken. Oh my God, that's beautiful. I love that. Um, you're not broken. Yeah, you're not broken. You're human. It's human. And that you have permission to go at your own pace throughout the entire experience. Like your own healing journey is your own. Nobody's healing journey is the same. And again, it's not linear. And just to have as much compassion and grace for yourself as you can because you're a warrior. I mean, yeah. like that's, you know, it's, it's, it's an intense traumatic experience. And you can be honest about that and still, like you said, not let it own you. Yeah, I like so that. I you're, that that's what it you're a warrior. Even if you may not feel like it in the moment, you are kind of a badass. Yeah. <laughs> and and it is okay to be human. Yeah. And, and it's I love, okay to reach out for support. Yes. Yeah. Yes, because you don't, the whole idea, you don't have to do this alone. 
Yeah, I um, I don't know if I even, you said you looked through my blogs. I don't even remember if I put this on a blog post or not, but I'm a huge, I always talk about how in our culture, we don't really grieve in community very much anymore. You know, like humans were originally in these like tribal situations, right? So it's like if somebody was grieving, it's like you grieve together and it takes the weight off the one person grieving. Right. You know, I think that that's what makes it feel very scary to grieve or to feel pain is because it feels oftentimes very isolating. And so, yeah, reaching out for support in whatever way, you know, whether that's just through a therapist or a church or, you know, a support group or whatever has been extremely profound in my own healing process, I can say. Right. Absolutely. You may have to be the one that walks this walk, but you don't have to walk it alone. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We are very blessed to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to all y'all at home listening. Until next week, remember that together we weather this storm. You are never alone.